How are we going to deal with that? We have so many flies to cover. <laughs> I think we'll just have to break it up over several episodes. Yeah, exactly. We'll do that. <laughs> are you ready? I'm ready. Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 98 to Detroit. Hey, who's this stranger at the end of the line? <laughs> Man, two months. Has it been two, two months? Two months. Sorry. You know, it's, it's one of these things where we didn't know we needed a break, but we actually needed one. Yeah. 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 I don't right? think it'll be a regular thing, but a summer hiatus is probably not a bad idea for us and for the listeners as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of them, because trust me, we got harassed by some of you guys. Yeah. I say that in a very loving way, uh, <laughs> trying to force us to get a new episode. So there it is. Uh, we're recording today, 9-11. My God, that was not even actually, I didn't think about that. The 11th of September, 2019. It's been uh, exactly two months and two days we haven't recorded. Well, you know what? Things don't change that much. The, the Max is still not flying. The 380 is still flying. The UK is still attempting to Brexit. I mean, maybe the only thing that has changed is that Popeye has released a chicken sandwich, and that's you pretty know much what? it. <laughs> I spent an inordinate amount of time planning my Popeye strategy when I was in California. <laughs> because it's rare that something as uh, universally acclaimed as that sandwich appears to be graces us with its presence. Were you able to try it? I was not. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was not. Yeah, I, I was more fascinated by the fact that, like I said, it was so universally adored. I was impressed by this. I want to know more about it. I don't know when I'm going back to America, but I will endeavor to... If you've tried it, I know there's a lot of people listen to us that are big food fans. If you've tried it, is it really that good? <laughs> there's a guy, I think, that is suing Popeye because he went through, like... A dozen of different shops and couldn't find a sandwich and accuses Popeye of false advertising and misleading or something. <laughs> Do you get that uptight about a chicken sandwich? I think you need to seriously re-examine your priorities. <laughs> so there's going to be a lot about the US in this episode. You'll see why. We're not going to do the news from two months ago, but we're going to start with the travels where we left off, which was Alex was about to migrate to the US as he does every summer. And I was about to go to Asia myself. Also, please bear with me with this episode. I got a call. I just get back from Vietnam and I think the change of temperatures got me a cold and I might be coughing throughout the episode. I'll try not to have like, you know, cough syrup in front of me and other you know mixtures to try not to. Um, we we miss you all. Thank you so much. We received actually a ton of feedback. And uh, obviously, that's unfair, but a lot of it will get lost in time because stuff that uh, appeared in our radar maybe like a month and a half ago might not be relevant anymore. And I know you did the effort to write us. But as usual, we promised to try to mention you all. And what I'm going to do right now, actually, brace yourselves. I'm going to actually one, two, three, four, five, I think seven reviews we've gotten on, on Apple Podcasts because you took the time and we really do appreciate that. They're all five stars. Thank you so much. I hope that, uh, you know, I was almost thinking, Alex, that maybe because we're not releasing at some point, somebody will give us like a three star, two yeah. star, one star, you know, like, you know, that Uber driver that never shows up, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so 
The first one is from Rudy in MSP in the US, obviously. That was in July. Great show. Always enjoy your shows and looking forward to the next one. And he's actually asking a question within the... I love that. I'm looking at booking a trip to Rome on AA with Miles and seem to be able to get a much better rate if I add a stop in either Madrid on Iberia or Heathrow on BA. Would you recommend this? And if so, which city and which airline? So if you had to choose Madrid, the huge Madrid with Iberia or Heathrow with BA for a layover, which one would you choose, Alex? If I'm not leaving the city, then I would say Heathrow. Yeah, I think so too. I think yeah. the he, uh, we've talked about this a lot, but the, the T5 transit experience is actually very solid, all things considered. It's yeah, when you have right. to move between terminals that it gets a little... And even then, it, it's not as seamless as a lot of other big airports, but it's not that bad. Madrid, you will enter the vortex and you will never reappear. And that will be the end of you. <laughs> as a city, it's wonderful. But if you're not, if you're not leaving the airport, then I um, cannot in good faith advise it. <laughs> <laughs> JP in ROC from the US. Uh, so easy to listen to. Could listen to these guys for hours. Well, thank you so much. Each episode is like going on a trip to a new place in the world. Yeah, well, well, yeah, well, we're, we're trying. <laughs> exactly. And um, let's hear more from Australian airports when you guys oh, can. Yeah. yeah, we know. We And he's a US listener. So we know, we know, we know. We have a, we still, I think, number three in our rankings in terms of listenership, you guys in Australia. I might be back in the fall. It's not certain yet. If I do, you'll have another airport for you guys. But it's really far from our It is. I was just going to say that it's, it's, it's not like we can pop over as much as we'd like to. <laughs> Manoj underscore B from the UK. Fantastic podcast. I have only recently discovered this amazingly informative podcast. Alex and Paul are great presenting double act. Wow. <laughs> uh, I am hooked. Thank you so much. Wellness Surgeon in the US. Loving this. This is an awesome podcast. Didn't know anything like this existed. It's great to hear of you guys travel. It aspires me to keep wanting to fly. Happy flying to you both. Well, thank you so much, Wellness Surgeon. Wellness Surgeon, that's a great name. I mean, and I, 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 you need to drill me into a discipline sometimes with food, probably. <laughs> uh, the Saint Sitter, 1985 in Germany. Best aviation podcast I know. That is very, well, very nice to very say. Kind. Thank you. Thank you. From Pittsburgh, Brian, the US, evidently. Fantastic podcast that covers everything commercial aviation and more. Well structured. Oh, that's really nice to say because sometimes I don't feel that we are very that much structured and we just go along with no, our No, well, you work hard putting the show notes together and obviously it yeah. pays off. Thank you. If you are into commercial aviation and want to learn more, this podcast is for you. And uh, now... The last one, because there's a little backstory about that one. So maybe before I read it, did you not meet one of our listeners, Alex, in Mexico? <laughs> I did. I did. It was a wonderful moment. I was due to meet a client in the, the Four Seasons in, in Mexico City. has got this wonderful kind of almost Singaporean raffle style atrium area. And I was being shown to my table and this guy comes up to me and he says, Alex, and I greeted him by my client's name because I'd never met this guy before, assuming that it was my <laughs> client. And he looked at me, like, what? No. And he's like, I, I thought it was you. I, you know, I'm a layovers listener and I watch Attaché and, I just, you know, this is so great. I said to my wife, I think that's Alex Hunter. And that just, that just made my day. I love, 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 love meeting listeners of this podcast in real life. So if you ever see me, wandering through an airport 
I have resting bitch face, so I'm not in a bad mood. That's just the way my face is. So please come and say hi. I'm not in a bad mood. I promise you. That it, it made the trip for me. It was so great. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and say hi. Yeah, it was awesome. He's called Floyd Roger. He actually had written us a few stuff in the past on Twitter. He's uh, Walt Tyson, at Walt Tyson. What a treat to meet Alex at the Four Seasons Mexico City. What a great show. Thank you for your great work. And just right after that, he added actually a review on Apple Podcast. The title, I think, is Meeting Alex in Mexico City Four Season Hotel. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that moments like that happens. Yeah, he says exactly what he I was having breakfast and saw Alex at the entrance of the restaurant. What a treat. Again, your show is great. Keep it up and maybe we'll meet again someday somewhere in the world, Father Roger. Thank you so much. It's really so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I myself met. It was not as funny circumstances because it was almost uh, for sure that I would meet some of our listeners. I went to a meetup by the guys behind Appin the air it's one app that does travel planning flight uh, planning it was really cool they had their first meetup in london last week i met actually several of our listeners to be frank i forgot most of their names because we didn't exchange cards so guys just reach out and say paul what did you forget about me the one i will i will mention because he's been a very active listener in interacting with us is uh, dan foster uh, dj fast i think both yeah, on uh, instagram and twitter it was really really cool to meet him we, we chatted a lot about tons of stuff so dan was so cool to meet you i hope to meet you again he actually i didn't know that he, he lived in japan recently for three months like out in somewhere in the middle of anywhere in japan it was really amazing wow. i didn't speak in japanese because my japanese sucks i'm sure dan your japanese is actually uh much better the event was great i'll talk about the event in another episode i still want to do a shout out to Behram, the ceo sergey the cto greg the cro nikita the cmo <laughs> derek the ceo and everybody else it was a great event. It was at the Emirates Experience Center here in London, trying to fly uh, 380s. They didn't allow me to crash one. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably for the best. Yes, exactly. Uh, so there's tons to talk about. You just heard uh, Alex went to Mexico. Actually, you went several times to Mexico. That will be for forthcoming episodes. There's a lot of news. Of course, we're not going to go into everything. Uh, we're not going to maybe also go into the fact that BA just had its largest strike ever, right? <laughs> yeah, that was a cluster on so many levels. Oh, my God. I mean, they started flying again this morning, but there was literally not a single BA flight flying it for two days. It was weird. You looked last night and there was two BA flights going and they were both wet leased. One was Air Belgium and the other was Evelop or whatever they're called. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think City Flyer City was Flyer flying. was, yeah. They were it was flying. But that's pretty much it. I mean, it's insane, man. I mean, you didn't get caught into it. We did. Yeah. Oh. In, a, in a strange way. Uh, well, because they had that IT meltdown as well, which meant a bunch of people were emailed, including me, saying that my flight was canceled. And actually, my flight was on the the day before the strikes were due to take place. And they sent me an email saying, hey, it's been canceled. And then I was like, you know what? I don't trust you. And I didn't do anything. And then, of course, 24 <laughs> hours later, they emailed saying, wait, never mind. It's not canceled. So, yeah, we were indirectly affected. And then our flight back from California got messed up and was canceled as well. So, yeah, we were affected by it. And you also got, that's for the next episode, so that I give a little bit of suspense for the next episode. You were also 
hit by the hurricane, I think? Yes. Ish, yeah, in a, in a tangent way, right? Of course, yeah, no, no. You see, he's alive in front of me, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Boeing before going to our flight. So, uh, of course, we see the 737 is still not flying. It's parked everywhere to the point, I think, that it's not Trump who should buy Greenland. It's actually Boeing who should buy Greenland to park their 737s. I don't know when they're going to park them anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, it's getting crazy. We went to wow. We went to the Museum of Flight in Seattle over the summer, which is at Boeing Field. And there were a lot of 737 Maxes parked along along the side. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, and they're not even, I don't even think they're made there. But yeah, it's it's getting, I don't think any of us would have imagined that we'd be mid-September and not have any kind of resolution to this to this problem, or even a sense of when it might be fixed or the planes might be in the air. I, I know a lot of airlines are removing them from their schedules for the rest of the year. Not before January 2020, exactly. And I mean, we've had that repeatedly in the past few months, so that doesn't even mean that it's going to be back in, in, in 2020, at least early 2020. The FAA seems to be really stringent about how they are looking at the 737, the, the MAX. They basically forced Boeing to look into an entirely new software architecture. It's not just a patch. It's not just a revamp of MCAS and a few other bits of software. It's a huge undertaking. They really are saying that the entire architecture has to be revamped. And that you know That's a huge undertaking. I mean, you cannot just create a software out of the blue in, no. in five months. I mean, I think The Economist was, was headlining about that like, last week or two weeks ago that Boeing's troubles are costing the aerospace industry $4 billion a quarter, which is insane. And I read some numbers. I don't know if it was in the same article or somewhere else. American is canceling 150 flights a day. United is canceling 70 flights a day, up to 95 actually next month. And Southwest, which obviously has a lot of these, is canceling around 150 flights a day. That's a lot of flights. I didn't realize the amount of them. Yeah, that that is a lot of flights. And I think that the longer this goes on, the more financial pressure it's going to put on on Boeing. I don't know what they're going to do. I think the European... I can't remember the name, the name of the European equivalent of the FAA have said that they will not take the FAA's certification as as writ. They're going to do their own testing of the final solution to this problem before they recertify it for, for European airspace as well. So that's just going to compound this, this delay even more. And I read today that a former Boeing exec, I think he was the chief technical pilot, is pleading the fifth after he was subpoenaed for documents by the Justice Department. Oh, wow. That this can't be good. Yeah, we haven't seen the end of it. We know that it's already hit, you know, the stock. And of course, but some of the customers are getting pissed. Some of the customers are actually saying, what will happen once the airplane is able to fly? Will you deliver it to us? Will we have to go to these random places to actually take, you know, because the contracts usually is delivered at the factory. It's not parked in some random place. But even more, I think there's Avia. I think that's a Russian, if I'm not mistaken, airliner company that is suing Boeing, claiming that they breached the contract by misrepresenting how safe the plane was to fly. 
and put profits ahead of safety. They had, I think, ordered 35 of these planes. Flydeal, which is a Saudi budget airline, uh, has decided to cancel its order altogether. It's an order for $6 billion of MAX aircraft, and they're going to go full 320. Uh, we're even hearing, I don't know if that's true, because maybe they just pressure, but Southwest is investigating going off a single aircraft and looking at alternatives. It could be just, you know, pressure and boring, because I don't see them doing that tomorrow, but you never know. Yeah. Um, and um, Air Canada, they've hired wet leases from Qatar Airways, and uh, United has found some old 737-700s, and they're going to add them to their fleet, I think, next month. But the best one is that even the 737-200 is being brought back. Yeah. It's a 1967 it's plane, guys. I think it was retired. The last company which retired might have been Southwest, probably, what? 15 years ago? In the US, certainly, yeah. It can hold like, what, 100, 110 passengers? If you think about the max, it's about 150 to maybe 220, 230. You can fly maybe a third of what the max can do, but still, you have companies that are looking into, and I think one company, I don't remember which one, has actually started flying it. It's 737-200. I mean, as a Navy geek, it's fun. I would like to fly it. Yeah, it's a great airplane. But as a signal to the industry, it's not that great. No, it's not. And, uh, you know, American just retired their last Mad Dog as well. And I bet you they're slightly sort of gritting Should their teeth a little bit yeah. because I'm sure that that's been in the works. For, it has been in the works for years, but obviously they couldn't have foreseen this. So, uh, yeah. geez, what an what a awful situation. And let's not talk about Norwegian because the fact that they don't have the max is a problem, but they have lots of other problems. Yeah, they do. Yeah, there's um, a whole movement about some airlines thinking to rebrand the max when it comes back to service. Boeing hasn't announced anything itself, but there was this picture like two months ago, just after I think we were last recorded, where some of the Ryanair Maxes on the ground in the US were not branded 737 Max, but branded 737 a two hundred, yeah, which is I, a way to kind of say it's not the max, but whatever. I mean, I wonder if this is, yeah, that's probably a strategy they are going to take, isn't it? I mean, they're going to try and obfuscate this tarnished brand as much as they can. Some surveys, I'm not sure how reliable they are, but asked the flying public. I think more than fifty percent say they would like not to fly that. But once it's back into service, will they actually care? Will they really not fly Ryanair if there's a max in service? I'm not actually entirely sure, no, to be honest. No, will they know, frankly? Exactly, yeah. Most people do not check you know, apps like we do to know that which aircraft you're going to be flying in. I don't, I don't think so. But maybe that's why Ryanair is slightly altering the name. I mean, we'll see. But that's not the end of the issues for Boeing because uh, they just had a little incident at one of the last testing of the 777X. Yeah, this was extraordinary. They were doing a static pressurization test, which is when they increase the pressure inside and I think outside to try to maximize the differential between the, the pressure inside and the pressure outside. And it blew one of the doors off. Um, like, it's lucky that nobody was, was injured. I, I th a lot of commentators were quick to say that the environment that was being created was physically impossible to create in the real world. This was sort of, okay, X is the limit that we would encounter in nature. 
So let's test it to 20x. The same they do when they like, you know, when they bend the you, wings. Yeah, they bend the wings like to extend that is almost super crazy. But the, I think the, the only irony, of course, in that specific test is, of course, things like this happen and it's a setback for Boeing. But the FAA inspectors were actually watching. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the FAA inspectors and I think some customers as well. So, uh, I, so that's not great. Yeah, no. And one wonders if had we not been talking about the max for so long and this had happened yeah. in isolation and if we even would have heard of it you might be absolutely right actually you might be absolutely right well more setbacks for boeing but as we keep saying they, they will they will recover they will come back but it's true that it's not great news for all those customers lined up waiting for the 777x because it has been now of course delayed and we know that some of the big airlines of this world are really expecting it especially in the line of like uh, removing the 380 from their yeah. from their fleet i think there was we'll talk about in the next or following episode because i flew emirates recently i think um sir tim clark is not really happy about no. the state of uh, airplane quality these days actually <laughs> uh, uh since still because of the max actually still because of boeing air france is looking into wanting Airbus to make a 22500, which would be a large version of the X uh, Bombardier C series, because that will actually fill a gap, which is, of course, not having the max, for instance, and being very close to the 320, of course, and 319. But that could be one of the unintended consequences of that lengthy delay, is that Airbus might be looking at N. I think I said it, I think the 300 is the base model, not the 100, meaning that extending the 300 shouldn't be too hard and the 500 series could be easily done. That, so, that airplane is proving to be incredibly popular. Yeah, and now guys in the US have flown it. I mean, if you fly Delta, you probably have flown it. You you flew Delta, will go there, but you haven't flown that, right? I haven't flown that, no, not with Delta. I've flown it uh, obviously here in Europe, but not in America. So I just said earlier that let's not talk about Norwegian, but let's talk just a minute about Norwegian. We had a, a one of the listeners on Twitter, Miles King, asked us, is, <laughs> he's planning his honeymoon to Norway in May 2020, and basically would like to know, do you guys think that Norwegian will still be in business? Honestly? I hope so, but hard. boy, I mean, they're I, trying to put out yeah. bonds, they're trying to do restructure debt. The CEO just, who was the founder, yeah. just stepped down. It's not looking good. It's not no, looking it's not, good. I mean, I not, really, not. really want them to, to be okay. And maybe the Max is going to be the the long, slow bleed that actually kills them. Yeah, that could be it. You're right. They just they are currently renegotiating their repayment of, the I think, two bonds, which is around, what, $400 million? That's not nothing. And to see at what point Norwegian is looking into making this work, they are offering as collateral there are slots at Gatwick. They know that it's the last stretch because these are very valuable and a key element for, for them as well. So if the bondholders accept this plan, the airline will be able to fly at least if no other thing happens until 2021. If they refuse, I mean, Norwegian has launched uh, a cost-saving program. It's a low cost. You're kind of wondering where the cost will be saved, but I mean, a cost-saving program, which is pretty big. The only good news for them is that they have reached an agreement with Rolls-Royce about the Trent 1000, you know, that famous um, Dreamliner engine. Mm. Nobody mentions the number, but they say they are looking good. So Norwegian says they're looking good, and at the same time, it's not looking good for Rolls-Royce. But Honestly, frankly, Miles, May 2020, my answer would go to not bet on them still being there by no. then. I, mean, and, I and wish, but no. You know, make sure that you've got good travel insurance if you do book. Yeah. 
I, honestly, I mean, because if, if if they go out of business, there are some more sort of quasi-state organizations, ABTA, people like that, that will will step in and help. But you know, yeah. that's not that's not really going to help. One wonders if Norwegian have to sacrifice elements of their business. Would they would they sacrifice long haul or short haul? I, I I don't know. I don't know which one makes the money. If I don't. If, if any, if any, exactly. So basically, Myers, do not get wowed. And wow is reborn. What is what is happening right there, Alex? Yeah, I, t- 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 I don't. <laughs> I, this is the weirdest thing. And because I sent you this this article on Secret Flying about they're resuming flights, they're going to be based out of the U.S. I think they're flying from Dulles. From Dulles yeah. in D.C., they're going to be between Dulles and Reykjavik. And you replied saying saying something about a person that was mentioned in the article that I thought was a non sequitur. And I was like, what the hell is he talking about? But it mentions this woman, the CEO, Michelle Ballerin, who I'd never heard of. So I Googled her. Oh, my God. Holy shnikes. (laughs) She's an arms dealer. She's got quite a story behind her. She's an heiress. She's been in hostage negotiations. She's quite a person. Yeah, <laughs> she she was she was hired to do these negotiations with Somali jihadists, and now she's running the reincarnation of Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's insane. I mean, you know, I have this kind of almost admiration. She she's a John Le Carré character or something. She, I, I I don't know anything is. about. It's like this. We probably read the same article because I googled her. I was like, what what? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if that bodes well for the company, but at least uh, she put back the rights. I think even the actual logo and everything. So the planes would be maybe the same. And she, again, a low cost. Only one plane to start with. But I don't know why she goes for it. But maybe she. She loves Reykjavik. I don't know, but there's some. Well. There's, I'm, I feel like with her pedigree, there's a lot more to this than meets the eye. Spies flying from DC to Reykjavik. There's something going on right she there. Sounds fascinating. <laughs> so let's go to the travels. Alex was, as I said at the top of the show, Alex was about to move to the US with his family for the summer, and I was about to go to Asia. Let's start with Alex. I think you flew from Heathrow to San Jose with BA at a yep. time that they were not uh, striking, and with a Dreamliner. That's right, yeah, with a seven eight seven nine, and yeah, it's a uh, it's uh, BA economy is consistently good on that route. They are, they're really, really good, and I, I, we've talked, we've tried to dissect all of the, the various unions and the various crew groups or whatever they are, and to try to find some patterns, but. That is consistently the best experience I've had in economy on BA is that route. I don't know if it's the plane. I don't know if it's the routing or what it is, but it, it it's always as good as it can be for economy and BA. Meaning if you were to do it again, I mean, I know you've done it a lot in the past. Would you, and let's, I don't even know if AA flies to San Jose, but let's pretend they do. Would you choose economy BA over economy AA? Oh, absolutely. I think I've mentioned before, but I'll say it yeah, I think out so, loud that, that, yeah. that BA economy is better than American economy. Long haul, long haul. Short haul, it's not even a competition because of the way that the US domestic product is is structured. But yeah, they were, they were good. And it was a... F- it was a pretty eventful flight. <laughs> yeah, I was about to ask because I remember we were exchanging. What? Come on, tell us a little bit of this backstory right here. <laughs> we, it was the five. I have three kids, and we were, we were about to board. And my my son, my middle son Jack, was like, I don't, I don't feel very well. 
They're like, okay, well, we just had lunch. He probably, you know, ate ate too much or too quickly. And he he is prone to some air sickness from time to time. So we give him this anti-nausea medicine. Or not even anti-nausea. It's like just travel sickness thing for kids. And that usually works pretty well. But we get on the plane. We're taxiing out. It's one of those afternoon flights. So it's busy at Heathrow and long taxi, long wait. And he's just not doing well. And before we even finished taxiing, he's being sick. We were the second row back from the bulkhead. My wife was in the bulkhead with my daughter in the middle, and I had the two boys with me on the side in the three seats there. So there was a row where the, where the flight attendant sits at the emergency exit, a row at the emergency exit, and then us. And as soon as the, the, the flight attendants were released by the, by the flight deck, this young female flight attendant came straight up to me and she said, he's not doing very well, is he? And I said, no, he's not. She immediately clocked that there was a problem, came to us with all of these sort of like lots of tissues and sick bags and, and blankets and everything. And then he he was, he did not get better. He got much worse very quickly. And oh. she was absolutely on it. Every, we didn't have to ask. She just came and checked on him every 20 minutes, brought him water. As his condition got worse and worse, she came back and she gave him uh, anti-nausea medicine, which they have in this first aid cabinet uh, in the galley. And then she brought him some stuff to prevent him from getting dehydrated. Yeah. And she took him back to the galley and put down the, you know, they have those bench seats that the crew sit on. She set up one of those so he could lie on it because the plane was absolutely rammed. She was... Unbelievable. And we never, ever, ever had to ask. She just, she knew that something wasn't right. She just did it, yeah. She, as we were sort of moving towards Northern Canada, in between Greenland and Northern Canada, the captain came back and said, my colleague has has briefed me on the situation. We've filed the plan to divert with with Canadian air traffic control. The captain kind of looked at me in the eye and said, it's not an issue if we have to go somewhere else. Your son's uh, safety and well-being and health is far more important than, than you know, a little bit of on-time performance here. So you give me the word and we'll do it. Wow. Uh, and mercifully, we didn't have to. He started to recover, I would say, almost completely in part to this flight attendant's uh, tenacity and, you know, forward thinking and proactivity. She was she was so good, so good. And they had arranged for a wheelchair at the gate and they asked if we needed an ambulance at the gate. And we, we, by that point he'd perked up considerably. And so we said, we said, no, we, we didn't. But as soon as the plane landed, they brought us up to business class and they gave, gave him somewhere to sit down. And while the rest of the, the aircraft was deplaning and we were waiting for the wheelchair to arrive, the captain brought us up to the flight deck and the kids sat in, they put their hats on them and gave him a bunch of stickers. It was BA at the top of their game. And, you know, they, they couldn't have done more. They couldn't have done more. I was so impressed. Amazing. I wrote to everybody I could think of to say, thank you. I don't know if it will ever get to the people that really mattered on that flight, but <laughs> it was such a gold star for BA. Uh, and I can't thank them. And I want to go on record on this and say, thank you, BA. You, you couldn't have done more in this really uncomfortable situation. Wow. I mean, wow. I mean, I had, I had to lay down of most, most of it, but not that detailed. And, and I so 
the happy ending because you send me some pictures of your kids with their hats and everything. It was like, what, what's going on here? Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And he, he was fine. As soon as we, uh, we got home, he was, he was fine. And, but goodness. Um, oh, wow. There's nothing that makes you feel more helpless than seeing your kid sick at 36,000 feet somewhere over the North Atlantic. Cause you can oh do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. <laughs> wow. Almost a diversion. So you, you just said, um, <laughs> you did uh, you were finally home in the U.S., but not for very long because you did that crazy trip. You had to come back to Europe. So not only it was crazy in terms of timings, and you let us know, but it was also cool because you tried finally a different airline, which is Delta. Yeah, I had to do this thing. And I, I think perhaps in our last episode, I talked about trying to pull this trip together. It was midweek, last minute, international trip that, of course, with no Saturday night stay was obscenely expensive to try and put together thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. So I hacked something together that would mean that I was gone for the least amount of time, which with a sick kid, I wanted to make sure was the case, but also wouldn't break the bank. So I did San Francisco, Detroit, Amsterdam, Dublin, Dallas, San Francisco, in a, <laughs> in a basically like a 32 hour period. I was yeah. only on the ground. I was speaking in Amsterdam. I was on the ground in Amsterdam for a few hours, and then and then came back. But yes, and, I did. And, and, that, and that's a day after you landing in the U.S. So you yes. land your jet lagged ish, and then oh, let's go back. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly it. I I think my Uber picked me up at three o'clock in the morning to catch a six a.m. flight from San Francisco to Detroit on Delta. So yeah, that was that was interesting. And as you said, it was a lot of new experiences. So part of the refurbished monster that is becoming Terminal 1 and 2 at San Francisco Airport, the new Delta Lounge, which I think I told you was really, really good, bright and airy. It's kind of a you go up above the uh, the terminal and you're looking out over the mm -hmm. domestic apron. You're kind of looking southwest. If you know that airport well, you're looking towards the sort of the San Mateo Bridge and then the mountains over to the East Bay. Very bright and airy. We were I got there long before it opened and there was a queue to get in by the time it actually did open, but very, very strong lounge. Delta are quite an anomaly in the US because they, I think they're crafting a very, very strong and cohesive experience as the, most of the American airlines seem to be. And the disconnect with all of them, which was kind of my thesis for experimentation for this, for this <laughs> summer, because I was flying a lot on US airlines is... The product itself, the physical product, is very good. It's just the service that's so inconsistent. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and and sort of in the in in economy. That was kind of my my test because I flew San Francisco to Detroit in economy, and forgive me, I have to look up because I can't actually remember what kind of airplane it was. Uh, seven three seven because you said it that's to right, me. It was a seven, yeah, it was a seven thirty seven eight, I think, okay. and I had this weird seat that you occasionally get on these these configurations where there was nobody in front of you. There's like the seat is missing. Oh, oh, oh wow. It's, cool. It's this sort of weird emergency exit row where there's nobody in front of you. So, which is great because you essentially have unlimited leg room, but wonderfully Delta as pretty much every U S domestic airline has have got IFE, but it's touchscreen. So <laughs> you're like, you have to undo your seatbelt to change the TV channel, you know, and all of that. <laughs> which which didn't matter short flight like three just under three hours 
And I just had the map on because I was watching stuff on Netflix. But live TV, Wi-Fi, power at the seat, you know, as standard. The the, the cabin crew were, were really friendly. You got basic snacks, I think, just coffee and soft drinks and uh, a biscuit or whatever. But then there was food available to buy. The, the quality of the product is so high compared to what we're used to in Europe that you go over there sort of and you're shocked by it quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. Well, in Europe, we really get uh, no frills, even with uh, traditional airlines. We I mean, do. we don't get power. We Wi-Fi is still spotty and uh, the seats are, I mean, are okay. I mean, I'm not complaining, but it's true that, I mean, I'll come to that much later, but it's true that in the US, I the disconnect is, you, the, you're right, the service probably, sometimes the airports can be a little more... Um, cold yeah i guess you know like more like bus stops i keep using the term bus stops and i know from american friends it's not a i'm not condescending here i'm just saying the the way that americans travel with airplanes is a bit different than the way we travel with airplanes in europe yeah and he feels like you know it's just a, a convenience to have an airport and then you get on the product whereas in europe the airport is as part of the experience, you know, they want to sell you stuff, you have super nice shops and whatever. So that's probably the the, the, the difference. So let's not do um, Detroit because that's what we're going to do at the end. But maybe you went to a lounge in Detroit. Did you have time? No, I didn't have, I didn't have time yeah. to get into a lounge in Detroit. Oh, actually, you know what I did? I stopped in to, I don't even remember what lounge it was. Oh, it was, uh, no, actually, I don't even remember. <laughs> uh, I don't even remember what lounge it was. Uh, but it was you, you. You're probably in Concourse A because that's where most of the international flights leave from, and you were going to Amsterdam with Delta, so probably that's where you were. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure all Delta fans will tell us it's like 20 billion, you know, lounges in that concourse, and which one is the best. But usually, as I might have done, I would have gone to the closest to my gate because I don't know them. <laughs> it, it was an airport that surprised me. We'll come back to it at the end. Yeah, of it, but I was really impressed and. The connecting flight, of course, that is a sort of northwest legacy route of Detroit to Amsterdam. And Detroit is a focus city as well for Delta. But that kind of Delta-Detroit-Amsterdam uh, connection is is huge. So I was excited about this flight because it was one of these kind of legacy flagship routes. But also it was on a Delta 350. Aha. And that surprised me because they have like 15 of them already. Wow. And I only thought maybe they had one or two because they haven't shouted about it. And I just, you know, that I love that airplane. I think it's a fantastic airplane. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I was again, I looked at upgrading from economy to to a premium economy because that's the only plane that Delta have premium economy on because of the way the American systems work. Unless you are part of their loyalty program, it's nigh on impossible to get upgraded oh, wow. to even pay for it. There's no like promotional upgrade fare, which you so often get basically anywhere outside of the U.S. You can you can pay um, whatever it might be to go from yeah, one yeah. cabin to the next. Just not impossible. It didn't really matter because I had an exit row. I had acres of space. But this, here's the thing. There's two things struck me about this experience. One, when you got on the airplane, it could have been a 25-year-old 767. There was nothing Nothing about this airplane that made it feel new, that made it feel different, that made it feel fresh. So often when an airline takes delivery of a new generation airplane, they use it as an opportunity to enhance yeah. the cabin experience. Yeah. There was nothing. There was nothing about this experience that made it feel like this was a new and, and revolutionary airplane other than what we know 
is standard about the the uh, 350 yeah. which is it's quieter it doesn't feel as um you know as claustrophobic as or or you don't feel the effects of the of the cabin humidity or pressure as much as some of its predecessors but i was really surprised by that there was nothing nothing revolutionary about the experience the service was poor frankly oh. it was aloof and uninterested and they spent most of the time talking with each other and um you know playing on their company uh, issued devices i don't know what they were some kind of tablets to try and fix problems or or you know look at the loads or whatever there it was not even friendly i oh, wow. slept the whole way because i had to go from the airplane to the airport to the stage so i wanted to ma- i didn't eat the menu looked you were handed a, a menu and this was right after delta had introduced these cabin service enhancements where you were going to get a mm-hmm. welcome drink and yeah. economy you're going to get a printed menu which which uh i did on both of those the food you know as menus are supposed to do promise tie i didn't see what it was like but i stepped off that plane going there was nothing special about that experience nothing okay yeah Oh well, we we will have another Delta fans uh, like going like, come on, what? Can you tell us? But, uh, <laughs> you know, and they're probably right. I'm sure that the premium economy yeah, yeah. and 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 premium cabins are are excellent. And that was one experience with one crew. The only things I could I could objectively observe was the inside of the airplane. Of course, the IFE was very good and in depth, um, but so many of the American systems are. So it wasn't a differentiator yeah. as far as I'm concerned. It's amazing. You remember, guys, I flew, I flew Delta last year from, um, what was it, Manila to to Tokyo. Of course, that's a different, but the point is for us, what is interesting in these experiences is that it's not only a new airline. I mean, I used to fly Delta a lot, but it's, we don't have status. We're not considered anything special. And usually we fly one well where we have status. So even if you're an economy, you're going to get maybe sometimes greeted and everything. So that's, uh, it's, it's always interesting to fly the way you did because it's a very, uh, very different way. Yeah. So then um, you had um, like your speech, but you didn't opt to fly back with Delta. You flew back with what, uh, Aer Lingus or something? I did. Yeah. <laughs> it actually worked out much cheaper to, to, kind of hack this fare together. So San Francisco to Amsterdam on Delta was a one-way booking. And then oh, I, I found a fare that was Dublin, Dallas, San Francisco on American in business, which was also very reasonable. And again, it, it's important to, to reiterate that that one-way fare to Amsterdam and then in business, Dublin, Dallas, San Francisco was cheaper What? By by about a thousand dollars than doing San Francisco Amsterdam San Francisco in economy. Wow! Just because the airline fare yeah, systems yeah. Reve- are revenue insane. whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But wow. I because okay. I was worried about the connection time. I actually booked I booked a KLM flight and a, and I booked an Aer Lingus flight. Oh, that that uh, left at around the same time. The KLM flight was about an hour earlier. I didn't know how, if the event was going to run on time. I didn't know ah, what see. security was going to be like at Amsterdam. And so I wanted to, I, I booked a fully refundable fare on both just so that whichever one I didn't take, I could cancel and get my money back. I kept an eye on it, on the on-time performance of both. And I guess that the KLM flight is is operated by Stobart Air, who have a horrendous oh, yeah. on-time performance <laughs> reputation. So I opted for Aer Lingus and... 
there was a massive tech failure at Amsterdam outbound <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> immigration and security. So it took a lot it's longer. It's funny than because I kept, I kept, I kept telling Alex, "Don't worry, Amsterdam security. Now they have these new machines. You basically don't do anything. You walk through a portal, and that's it. It's done. And then you walk to another portal. Your scanning is done. And Alex is like, Paul, nothing is working. Everything is backed up. Yeah. I mean, what? Oh, you, wow. It was. Did you have it was backed up. Luckily, the event ran on time. And of course, Amsterdam Airport Schiphol is so easy to get to and so close to town that it was i was fine i opted for the Aer Lingus lingus flight and that was just a they have Aer Lingus. i don't fly very often and i'd forgotten it's a single class setup on their three 19320s and it, that was a little bit delayed but but nothing bad the service was was fine nothing to, to write home about i was in the first row just so i could get off the plane quickly <laughs> oh i sorry to interrupt you right here but of course, we don't fly Aer Lingus because for some reason, they're still not part of One World. We have no understanding what's going on right there. They're because this, they were bought yeah. by AG, but they're not part of One World. They're like Just... the Pluto of our solar system, right? <laughs> are they a planet or are they not a planet? They sort of are, but they sort of, they behave like a planet, but they're not a planet. Uh, I should go back and look and see if I got anything for that, like even a tier point bonus or a, or a mileage bonus. Something, yeah. yeah. I'm sure I didn't. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so... One of the benefits of going through Dublin, and one of the reasons why I picked this route, is that I could do U.S. immigration. Oh, yeah. If you have ever transited through DFW, which I did actually about a week ago, and we'll talk about that in another episode, it's not good. It's not a fun experience. Immigration there is horrendous. Customs there is horrendous. But I didn't have to worry about that because I was going from a domestic arrival to a domestic connection. However, <laughs> Dublin pre-clearance was like nothing I had ever seen before. <laughs> there must have been over a thousand people in the queue. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it didn't matter if you were American or not. The queue was monstrous. And I looked at my, I was watching the clock going, I don't think I'm going to make this. And I turned to somebody, uh, an immigration official, and they said, look, if I can give you one piece of comfort, it's that everybody else is in the same boat. So if 80% of the flight is stuck in the queue with you, don't worry. They're not going to go with it. So hold on. That was what? That was entry immigration into Ireland? That was no, U.S. customs, U.S. border? It was U.S. Was? The, 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 uh, the US, clearance. U.S. border. So getting oh, into Ireland, I didn't... Uh, no, you don't have to. I think uh, uh, they're not part of Schengen. They're not yeah, part of Schengen, they, but you, like you get be, rounded around yeah, this exactly. weird sort of back area of this of the terminal, and then you you get dumped into to US preclearance. Oh, and there you go. I, okay. I saw the line and I thought, oh, this is clearly for non-US citizens. And I said <laughs> to the person, where's the US citizen line? And he's like, no, there. <laughs> and it was sort of this extension of an extension of an extension of a of a lot of a queue system that, that backed up well into the terminal and then went around the hall they'd set up all of these tens of barriers to try and wow. corral people and then downstairs and then upstairs the process itself to get into immigration was 30 seconds once they'd actually process you it was just the sheer volume of people because Erlingus have seven or eight flights to the US at least. And then there was a couple of American flights and a few other Fifth Freedom routes that were going. It was absolutely like nothing I'd ever seen. 
one of the Aer Lingus flight attendants told me she'd never seen it this bad before. Wow. I, it was the the good news was good slash bad news was that my flight was delayed anyway because the inbound <laughs> flight was delayed. So it was all moot. And once I'd seen that, my stress levels kind of went through the floor because I didn't want to miss my connection in Dallas and yeah, 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 take forever yeah. to get home. But yeah, yeah. I would definitely not do that again. <laughs> and I don't know if anybody, if any of you guys listening have done that US pre-clearance in Dublin before, I would love to know how your experience was. There was global entry. I really need to sign up for global entry yeah. because every time I, I get into a US immigration queue, I keep saying to myself, I really need to get into uh, to global entry. But yeah, it was quite an experience. Dublin airport is a crap hole. <laughs> I actually do agree because even trying to get into Ireland, if you're not, if you if you're traveling from the UK, you don't have to clear. It's like domestic for yeah. those who don't know. But if you come from continental Europe, it's always queues. It's, it's like for me, it's like Brussels. I hate these these two airports. Uh, they they always like backed up. The the layout is bad. I just I don't like them. I'm sure we're gonna get like some Irish friends like you know bashing us. But so um, maybe. Anything to report about the flights themselves with AA? With a, I was in business in a in a seven eight seven. It was excellent. Nice. The service was outstanding. The IFE was outstanding. The food was outstanding. They don't have first on this cabin, so I was in one A. Uh, nice. Yeah, it was it was the first time I'd done business on the Dreamliner with AA, and it's the the standard seat that everybody seems to have that Cathay have the, I can't remember the name. Is it Recaro that make it? No, it's not. It's um, no, I don't remember who makes it, but it's a very good seat, very comfortable seat. I slept for a little bit. That is a good product. It really is a good product because my American flight from Dublin to Dallas was delayed. They automatically rebooked my Dallas, San Francisco flight to the later flight. But the thing is, is that we pulled back almost the entire delay on the flight. So I could have easily made the connection, but they'd given my seat away on that flight. Yeah. That yeah. pissed me off a little bit <laughs> because they only had one person working the desk at at Dallas for my the San Francisco flight who was trying to process all of the standbys. And oh. I'm like, I feel, I don't want to be a jerk about this, but I feel like my situation is slightly more important than a standby person. Yeah. Like, You've given away my seat on a flight that I have paid for. So I had to wait in a really kind of dank and depressing Admiral's Club. And I was tired by this point. My flight didn't get in San Francisco until 1 a.m. So I still i am a big fan of American's premium product. <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, by the time I got home, I was very, very tired and slept for a long time. <laughs> but it was a very interesting research trip for, for the purposes of, of this podcast. Yeah! Wow! Wow! That was that, that was cool, actually. I'll, I'll I'll get to AA in a moment. Let's not spill the beans for the moment. So, uh, you, so you landed back into San Francisco. So you mentioned that yeah, they they are upgrading the whole thing. The one thing that everybody talked about in the summer is that they removed the um, plastic bottles, the small water plastic bottles, which at face value. To me, looked like a great idea. Obviously, everybody does that. We've heard about even airlines removing single-use plastics in there. In there, the only problem is they literally removed small bottles of water. So you cannot buy that, but you can still buy small bottles of soda, and you can still buy big bottles of water. So basically, if you want water, but you want a small bottle. That means that people will end up buying Coca-Cola. And I just don't understand. Either you remove the entire 
plastics, all yeah. the bottles, but not just the bottle of water. For me, it makes it makes no sense. Yeah, I I hadn't seen that in effect when we went through uh, on various trips out of San Francisco through uh, over the summer. There were still selling bottles of water at restaurants. I, I think I think it's, yeah, I think it went into force last week, early September, maybe. Yeah, I, so maybe I, that's why it's yeah because they have all these. It's great you can fill up a water bottle, in San Francisco. It's something that we we use all the time with the kids because they've got these big thermos type thingies that we. Yeah, even here up. in the UK, it's more and more the case. More and more people, I mean, carry their own thermostat. Yeah, or you're you know, you're right uh, though. It does. It sends a mixed message. Seems a little bit kind yeah. of what's that awful phrase? Virtue signaling. <laughs> um, and in, in practice, the reality is a lot different. Yeah. Anyway, so some some few news about Delta before I go to some of my flights. Uh, again, we're not going to cover all the flights. There's been many, many during the summer. Uh, that's going to be for the next episode. About Delta, first, uh, thanks to Eric Hoffman uh, at uh, The Husband in Tow. I didn't know that Delta Airlines had once a month a surplus sale with all their equipment that they're not using. And uh, he sent us a video and you can see trolleys, seats, cutlery, Toys, bins, overhead bins for crying out loud, lavatories, the entire set of lavatory, <laughs> curtains, employee outfits. I'm like, wow, I didn't know that that existed. I mean, it seems to be a monthly. Either. Yeah, yeah. So for, for, wow, I mean, guys, if you've ever been to one of these things, uh, these uh, sales, just let us know. I mean, there's some like overhead bins. I'm going to install overhead bins in my office. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all cool. <laughs> uh, the other thing that uh, we talked about a little bit, you and me, Alex, you remember that uh, Delta 757 that was flying from JFK to the Azores and on landing, I don't know what what kind of rough landing happened. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but the, the plane was literally torn. Yeah, it I mean, kind of the, the, buckled, didn't it? And it tore yeah. the skin on the top of the fuselage. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that it landed on the nose gear and that often oh. landed hard on the nose gear. And some types of airplane are not designed to take that level of, of torque on the on the fuselage. A lot of airlines are, airliners are, but this particular one wasn't. And yeah, it, it you could see like the, the buckle in the in yeah. skin and the fuselage. The images were like insane. I, I can't. I cannot even think about how rough that landing must have been as a passenger point of view. I don't know. I just, just, I've never seen that. Uh, do you think the plane that that's a write-off? I think. I th well, it's funny. You read on the on the AV Herald, people saying that Delta will will fix this. This, this is kind of very <laughs> a very Delta thing to do. Yeah, probably. Uh, talking about old aircraft, they're gonna fly their MD ninety until twenty twenty two. So you still have two and a half years to fly them if you'd like. Uh, these are aircrafts that are disappearing fast. We're not happy about it, but, you know, they're old, uh, old aircraft. Uh, one thing that also happened when we were not uh, <laughs> recording, and I just had to put it there, uh, that, you know, Independence Day Trump speech about airports, uh, where he mentioned airports in 1776. Uh, and there was Max Sweeney's who wrote this fantastic article. I'm just going to Quote, one that part that I love. When the British marched through Terminal 2 and stopped to ask if they could order from the Delta Sky Club menu, the Minutemen attacked. I mean, guys, I, I mean, there were so many memes that came out, but that article by Mike Sweeney's, it's called The Battle at John F. Kennedy International Airport in 1776, is 
Amazing. You have to read that, no matter what you think about uh, the U.S. president. Um, you were talking about getting upgrades on Delta. Officer Wayfinder, whom we mention quite often, on his blog, officerwayfinder.com, uh, just look for Flying Delta Upgrades, and he literally lists all the type of upgrades you can get and how that works for Delta. It's a very well done blog post. The one I love about it, it, it avoids all the... I'm not going to mention names, but all the usual, you know, 25 pop-ups and credit card stuff that a lot of the other uh, <laughs> types of website have. So uh, I really encourage you to go, if you if you are flying Delta either for the first time or often, officerwayfinder.com and look for the post called Flying Delta Upgrades. It's really well documented. Maybe something you should have uh, read before you flew, yeah. because maybe you could have found a way to get upgraded. I don't know. I mean, I've, I haven't flown Delta in, I mean, besides that flight in Tokyo mentioned like for for a long time you mentioned the, the delta club you were in san francisco correct that's right, right yeah yeah so he, he says that that sfo so the same office wayfinder says that that sfo club is really nice and one of his favorites so he's a very heavy delta flyer great food he says with better runway uh, ramp views and he mentions that at detroit since we're going to mention that at the end the club by gate A68 and the one by gate A18 have great RAM views, but limited food. And the main club, which is situated at gate A38, doesn't have the RAM views, but is much larger and has better food. So I guess you have to choose between the views and the food, which is always a hard choice for, <laughs> yeah. for us. Delta, since I keep saying in this episode that I flew them last to Narita, I used to fly... As you guys know, I was a Sky Team. You know, I was Platinum at Air France KLM. I used to fly a lot Northwest, actually, and then Delta acquired them. And I was flying a lot from, obviously, Tokyo. And then I moved to the Philippines, and I was doing, almost commuting, doing this route between Manila and Narita very, very often. And I have so many memories, especially because I love Northwest. I have less uh, you know, appeal with Delta. But uh, Delta is abandoning Narita. That's done. I mean, it's almost kind of written, but uh, because we've been talking about, you know, Haneda for a long time. So Delta, which is basically the, they almost built Narita, of course, Northwest did, yeah. is abandoning it completely uh, in the next uh, season. I think it's starting at the end of the year or something. They're going to transfer everything to, to Haneda and, and they're going to shift service the Manila a service that I used to use, they won't exist anymore. They will be replaced for a route between Haneda and Incheon. So the route I used to take doesn't exist anymore. I'm so sad about this. But I mean, you know, I, I guess it's, you know, Narita is really becoming, is really marginalized, I guess. Yeah, it it, it does. There's so much um, focus on, on Haneda as uh, just a, for pure convenience, but a lot of airlines seem to be pulling back from it's it's don't you think it's strange? It feels. No, I think I, I think there's a I think there's a vicious circle happening right there because because airlines are moving to Haneda, then Narita is losing its connecting traffic appeal. You land somewhere and then oh, you have to switch airports. And I have you guys just look at episodes in the past. I had to switch airports from time to time, which back when I was living in in Japan never happened. You had everything in Narita, so even if you were in unprotected connections and switching air airlines, you would do everything from Narita. So the more airlines move to Haneda, which is arguably closer to the city. I mean, no, it's not arguably. It is closer to the city. I say arguably because in terms of timing, it it can be sometimes the same from Narita, but. 
the less connecting traffic there is, the less incentive there is for an airline to create a hub in Narita because they're like, why would you stay here? Yeah. We might as well. And, and Haneda has opened a lot of routes. Yeah. And, and I was in Narita. I'll go there in, in a few. But yeah, it more and more feels like... Um, like more like a Gatwick, I guess. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, a it very is. good airport, but uh, like a secondary airport. No disrespect here to Gatwick, but uh, and it's a bit sad because, you know, again, I mean, sad. That's pure emotional. But I think Northwest landed first in Tokyo in July 1947. I mean, of course, that was not Narita. Narita was only built in the, in the end of the... 70s or something and they were before even pan am they were northwest of the first so there's this long standing relationship but they were the first one to move to narita when it opened i think in 78 it opened or something and they had all these fifth freedom routes you know that that's why i kept flying northwest and then delta because they have these fifth freedom routes that they obviously often criticize the middle eastern airlines for having but they they, they, they cover asia like this and I was living in Japan when Delta took over uh, from Northwest. That was 2008. At that time, Northwest had 19 cities from Narita. So it was really an important hub. And now it's, yeah, I mean, I get it. Economically, probably I get it, you know, but uh, it's just for me, maybe because I have this emotional relationship with Northwest, I'm a bit uh, sad. That's yeah, it. no, it's a shame. And you, you see this attrition happening, you know, especially for long haul. United are pulling back quite a lot as well. And, yeah. yeah, it's a shame. Actually, United was uh, started flying to Narita. That's uh, I think that's uh, just a trivia. I think they flying to started Tokyo. Sorry, not Narita. When they bought uh, Panam's ah. Pacific Panam Pacific assets, I think uh, that's what that is. So talking about Narita, uh, have you seen the the pictures of the typhoon the other day? Yes. And uh, wow, there that never happens. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. 15,000. 15,000 people. And it was nuts because people were quick to criticize, oh, I hate Narita immigration, which I will defend until my death. No, it was that there was no train running. So no, just yeah. after you would go out for immigration, you were stuck in the airport and there were no train runnings for, I think, 11 or 12 hours, which is very rare in Japan. And because it was a, like the typhoon was pretty. So I had a friend, Jeff, he's a VC, and he was stuck. He told me, I think he. It took still two hours to clear immigration just because it was, you know, a lot of people and there's just no room to go forward. And then he, he stayed uh, waiting for a train for eight and a half hours. Oof. That's not fun anyway. But I mean, what can they do? It's not, you know, it's a typhoon, right? Uh, I had a typhoon in, in Vietnam. I'll go to that in a few episodes. It was um, it was quite uh, impressive as well. So you, AA, you love, you always love AA. A few news. Uh, American Airlines will tweak its first class product, so the one in the US, I'm talking domestic first class, they will add legroom, they will add extra in-seat power, and they will add some other amenities because passengers complained about the product that has started to be retrofitted. So I think it started like two years ago, a new economy and a new first, but they really cut costs their frequent flyers are not happy. So they're saying we're going to go back to a better product for first, but not economy, sadly. So sadly, economy will stay very, 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 very tight. But the kicker, and something I don't understand, although they are announcing that they are making amendments to the first class, they will still continue to retrofit the old new first class, so the one people are not happy about, until next year. And then starting next year, they will 
Rego and redo all of them. I'm like, how does that make sense? It doesn't sound like the most efficient way of doing this. <laughs> I just don't get it. Oh, I mean, well. Uh, what else? What else? Oh, yeah, one last one about, he says, I mentioned Sky Team in One World. China Southern. Have you ever flown China Southern? I have not. They're leaving Sky Team and going to One World. I don't understand. I mean, that seems like. It's a com very, very similar overlap to Cathay, which is a whole another story. Yeah, we'll go there also in a few before the end of this episode. <laughs> so let's go to Asia because I flew to Asia. So I flew because I wanted a deal. I needed to be in Tokyo for work. And I found I always look for deals like Alex does. And of course, one of the best deals to be found in that direction are often from Stockholm. Uh, we're going to cover this actually, this airport uh, very soon, probably even the next episode, maybe, because we haven't done so. So I flew a simple BA flight to Stockholm, nothing to write home about. The only thing to write home about is when I was in the first class lounge at Heathrow, I took a very early flight, you know, unprotected connection, wanted to make sure that even I have like plenty of time at <laughs> at Stockholm Airport to connect with Qatar, which is the airline I, I flew. So I am in the first class uh, lounge that you know very well, Alex, as well. And it's pretty empty, you know, it's early in the morning and it's not a Monday. And uh, suddenly this girl sits literally next to me and there's a lot of other seats. And my first reaction is like, I mean, come on, why would you sit just next to me? I mean, I didn't say it, I just thought, you know. And then I look at her and it's uh, Cara Delevingne, that, that famous uh, model and actress. And yeah, then I changed my mind and I said, no, you can actually stay here and it's really nice. And I ended up actually chatting with her. She was super chatty and super cool. We had coffee, so now I can say that I didn't ask for a selfie, but I can say I had coffee with Cara Delevingne, which is nice. pretty pretty cool for her. Yeah, it's a checkbox. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, Stockholm... Too much time to to spare so i wanted to try and i tried the rest fly the rest fly are like day rooms you can get at stockholm airport they're pretty cheap and i try them just for a nap for two hours it's really good so i can i can recommend them there it's very sparse it's like ikea type of rooms right it's do not expect anything like you know the oryx hotel at doha or whatever but for a nap or for if you have a long layover because you do like us uh, you do like you reposition yourself to find a good deal i i can actually recommend it it's very easy you don't have to pre-book whatever they have enough rooms it's a uh, shared bathrooms and shared uh, shower facilities that's the only thing if you're not into that kind of stuff but it was perfect I, I would do that again so then i'm in front of qatar airways checking i had to check in because i was actually taking the luggage with me which i rarely do and you know usually before because we're diligent you you write your api your advanced passenger information on the management booking mm -hmm. you know your passport information etc i had done that so not only they were asking, they were reviewing with you all the information that you had inputted already, but they were asking every single passenger uh, their mobile phone number. They didn't only ask that at the checking, they re-asked me at the gate when I was boarding. I your, don't they asked you for your mobile number. Number. Everybody. Oh, not only me. It was not nobody was trying to hit on me. It was not Cara Delevingne asking me for a mobile <laughs> number, guys. But it's uh, I never had, I, I don't, I didn't ask why, but uh, it's, it's, they were very insisting. They were talking about all the passengers. I don't know what they were doing, you know, and their GDPR is in effect in, in, you know, in Stockholm. So there must have been some security reason maybe, but it never happened to me. They were, they were insisting. That's they were really odd. insisting. 
So, Qatar Airways, first flight was, uh, what was it? 350, I think? I don't remember. But anyway, it was, you know, the very nice seat to the life flight, not a Q suite. Very clever menu. What I liked about it, so it was a late, because I stayed literally the entire day in Stockholm. It was a night flight. It was very clever because they had like a one very tasty menu for food, but clearly made so that you could eat quickly and sleep because, you know, the flight is only like six hours. You don't really have time to sleep otherwise. So that was really well done. Uh, it was more like tasting bites than actually a full... You could order on top if you want, you know, like these airlines do. They have like so much to, to order food from. But the, I, th I thought that was that was clever, the way they did it. It was not fastened as in they were like not hurrying you to eat but it was cleverly done in a way that oh i can eat like in 20 minutes and then be done with it and go to sleep That's i didn't need that way it should be yeah it was also the most elegant captain ever uh, probably the guy was from indian descent but born and raised in the uk but i think uh if i ever had to do um calendars with like the most elegant captains in the world that's the one i would put in the cover this guy represents everything i wanted to be as a kid <laughs> i was like this guy is not only has the perfect accent but also the perfect demeanor he was the perfect captain you would have i should have recorded the uh the announcement he was making i was like this is absolutely freaking perfect wow i'm uh, yeah i don't know i'm, I'm sorry to, it's purely stupid what i'm saying here but I, I just i don't know i was a kid i was looking at this guy like i want to be that guy when i grew yeah. up uh, in doha i landed in concourse e and i was leaving to concourse e to hong kong because that's where i was transiting to so my my good fare was not directly to tokyo i stayed in concourse e in doha uh the funny bit is we land there and it couldn't find a business class bus. So because they couldn't find a business class bus, instead of giving us an economy class bus, I guess they were more available, we just had to wait in the flight for 30 minutes. And you're like, okay, I, I understand you want to give us a great service, Qatar, guys. And, and, and really, for me, this one, if not one of the top three airlines in the world for me right now in terms of quality. But that is like, guys, it's okay. I can, we can be in a normal bus. Yeah. You know, like, so it's, it's a bit bizarre. I mean, that is bizarre. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's fine. I guess they wanted to, and they were really cool about it, right? They, 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 they were really good about it. They, um, what I love every time I have um, a delay with Qatar, and I had one, which I'll mention probably in the next uh, episode because I won't have time today. They, you know, and sometimes you just wait. I was in business class, fine, but sometimes you just wait. They are. As soon as there's a delay, all the staff come to you and start apologizing in person, not with a P announcement. They apologize in person. They go like almost full service on you for 30 minutes. Right. They do not just say, oh, wait, you know. Yeah, and yeah. so you, you basically like, okay, so I'm just going to watch a little bit of the IFE and take another sip of champagne. So why not, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but still, I mean, they couldn't find a business class bus. Yeah, that's kind of funny. Then uh, I was supposed to fly uh, 350 Q suites to, no, sorry, 777 Q suite to Hong Kong from Doha. And I enter the aircraft and I'm like, yeah, well, this is not a Q suite. And this is the old, old 777 product. Oh. Uh, so it's 222. So they were so good. The crew was so good at managing the potential disappointment that I almost forgot that there was no Q-Suite. I mean, it's still nice to have a Q-Suite. If you, if you had paid a lot of money just to have the Q-Suite and it's your one time in your life that you're gonna fly Qatar Airways, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm lucky to have flown it already several times, but they were very good at 
you know, kind of overcompensating for that miss. Probably, you know, they had to do a change of aircraft. I'm sure it's, you know, they had an, an issue with that aircraft and they had to change it. But because of also the layout of the Q-suite, which is not 222, I basically had an entire, like, almost the row for me. There was no one. I couldn't not see anyone, even though it was an old seat that is not, it's full life flight, but, you know, there's a little slope. I mean, again, the quality was not there in terms of the products, little product, but they made everything impossible to make it, and thus it was actually still a very good flight. And Qatar, you know, Qatar always is like a mother, uh, because I'm like you, Alex, I don't always eat in aircrafts. Uh, I've been on a diet, actually, for the past two months after, I mean, it will come at the end of that, why? <laughs> because there, you, have, you have something to do with that. Uh, Qatar is like a mother or a grandmother, you know? They follow you around and say, "You sure you don't want to eat anything? Oh, but you haven't you haven't eaten anything. Are you sure you don't want to eat anything? But just 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 some bread. I can you f I can fix you something very quickly." And you're like, "No, it's fine, really." It's almost like the next line they don't say it. Like, "Don't you like our food?" Know. You know, <laughs> you're like, "No, really, guys." And they say that with the most endearing heart that they can. It's just that it's really like a grandmother. I I, I love it, but wow. So then I'm in Hong Kong. And I'm just staying for the night in Hong Kong. But we need to talk about Hong Kong a little bit. It wasn't happening when I was there, but we cannot not talk about Hong Kong. No, no, it's right. it's been extraordinary since um, I'm very proud of Hong Kong and its people because they have shown yeah. the world how to protest and how to stand up for something that you believe in or stand up against something that you don't believe in. Yeah. Whether whether you, well, I, I think this is a reasonably apolitical uh <laughs> Statement. Uh, statement, yeah. And I think that, the you know, the way they have conducted themselves as a society and as a people has been exemplary in the face of uh, interference from just about everybody and in ways that are rather extraordinary for this type of uh, of event. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to get the full story of, of who is doing what and how, but from on the face of it, it's... Uh, it's something I think Hong Kong can be very proud of, and, and it seems to be working. The impact on both Hong Kong Airport and Cathay has been there. Let's maybe do a Hong Kong Airport. If you were, and if you still are doing layovers, you're fine. You don't even see anything. Uh, friends have done that actually last week. I had changed my flight. I was supposed to, to go through Hong Kong because it was probably too cautious but actually it's fine you can do it. you can go to your peer and whatever if you are destination origin it's still okay but there has been a few days when the airport had to be shut down for people trying to leave the i don't it's not happening anymore but there has been a little bit of impact because there were some protests in the departure area actually the images were striking they were like literally not a single spot was free there were people standing you could you couldn't really exit Although the police was making sure that if you were to exit after customs, you were able to. But yeah. these images were quite staggering, actually. Wow. Yeah, and right. the, when they shut down the airport and then walking, walking back to the various areas where you could, where the protesters could get back into into Hong Kong, the the images yeah. were ex completely extraordinary. Yeah, and Cafe also, of course, got embroiled in this. So there was at some point. Uh, authorities in China requested from Cathay, and please correct me, Alex, if I'm doing that wrong, because I'm not entirely sure, but I think what they did is they requested from Cathay to check if any of their staff had been in any way embroiled with the protest, and if so, requested that these staff would not be put on planes that would land in mainland China. Did I get that right? Yeah, I, I believe so. They wanted... To 
manifests of, of all crew and any one that had even been peripherally involved in the exactly, protests yeah. to be basically handed over. How they wanted, a, they demanded a list of those people that had which led to the CEO left. Yeah. So the the story goes that. China demanded this list. China were putting a lot of pressure on Cathay. That every flight that flew into China from Hong Kong that was a Cathay or Cathay Dragon flight was subjected to safety inspections that would go on for hours, delaying them for hours. I mean, completely from a political tactics perspective, it's really rather genius, but it's also the definition of a dick move. <laughs> um, and so they then said, okay, uh, perhaps this would go away if you provided us with a list of employees that are participating in the protests. And the list was submitted by Cathay to the authorities in China, and there was only one name on it. And that name was the CEO's name. And so he sort of fell on his sword to protect his employees and was then fired, hmm. quote unquote, asked to resign. Yeah, whatever, um, yeah. I think that that is probably reasonably close to the truth. I know him, and it, that mm -hmm. is certainly in fitting with his character. And if it is true, then it is the uh, the definition of magnanimity, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. uh, it also meant that the, I think the chief customer officer Paul yeah. Liu also went as well. Um, I think so. Yeah. And now the chairman, the chairman John Slosser, who was the CEO a while ago. He initially had said we would never dream of preventing our staff from participating in peaceful protest. That is their right as defended by the basic law of Hong Kong. That was the end of him as soon as he said that. Um, so he is yeah. stepping down today, actually, I think. Yep. So, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure on Cathay, really. The, Cathay are in that. a horrendous position. Yeah. They're like they're in between two chairs. It's really difficult for them in terms of because that's, that matters somehow uh in terms of ownership swire owns 45 percent qatar which i just mentioned owns 10 percent air china has 30 percent and then some others have 15 percent and the the whole question that is being risen now is qatar doesn't need to sell its because they have like lots of money <laughs> to play with but there's a lot of movements trying air china will they buy qatar's uh 10 to actually reach 40 percent and be much more closer to swire i mean i don't know i'm just saying that Cathay is sadly, of course, due to all these events, has been losing a bit of money because they have to cancel flights, because they have to make do with the Chinese mainland China demands, and pressure will keep rising. I mean, Swire is a very strong-willed company, but it's really hard to know what the future will hold. Yeah, I know. I, th I think you're right. And you and I talked about this vis-a-vis uh, -vis Air China saying, you know, they they... They may attempt to buy more, as you say, and I, I think that Swire have the resolve to do this. But then, as you know, as we have seen hints of, China could just squeeze Cathay's neck until Swire give in. Oh yeah, they could simply like say, oh, you know what, we were removing, you know, rights for Cathay Dragon, whatever. They could. There's so much stuff they could. Yeah, I'm not saying they will. Overflying routes and yeah, exactly. you know these and these these spots. It's just checks. fiction. What I'm what we're saying here, but I mean there is clearly pressure. The entire situation we don't know what it's going to lead to, right? I mean, yeah. so, but it's uh, since we're an aviation podcast. I mean, Hong Kong again is airport. The airport works. You can go there. Friends have been there to last week. Perfect. Really, you don't have to worry. Even the city. I went to the city myself, but. It was the very, very, very beginning. There was nothing. Friends have been 
I think Mario, a friend of mine who lives in London as well, went last week and he says, you know, you can go. So it's really safe. Do not think it's like a war zone or something. No. But uh, it still doesn't tell us what the future will hold and we have no idea. No, and I would I would ask anybody, you know, go to Hong Kong, spend money there, patronize local businesses because tourism is down significantly. Yeah, there. of course. I think down 40%. Yeah, which is why I mentioned this because every time we see... I had a personal experience with obviously when there were the, the riots in, in Athens and because of the, the crisis and so on and so forth. Every time, you know, the media will show you and clearly there has been protests and some of these protests had some violence. We're not here dismissing that. We're saying actually when you go there, these are, it's not, you know, Syria being bombed by, you know, it's with all the respect to Syria here. It's, it's so... Yeah, I, I am the same. I regret not having connected through Hong Kong and having changed my recent flight, which I'll go to in a few episodes, but I will try to go before the end of the year. Yeah, me too. So I was in Hong Kong. I spent the night. I went out. It was great, as always, in Hong Kong. Spent the night at Red Gaul Hotel, which is the one next to the airport, which is always a fantastic one to do that. And I had a very early flight with Cathay to Narita. Uh, so that was a different fare. Super early flight, which was cool because... You know, you pass by the arrivals when you are at uh, Regal, and then you yeah. go up and you are in departures. Arrivals, I think it's the only time in my life I've seen it empty. There was not a single person in arrivals. I think the flights hadn't started arriving, and I was going was super early. Cathay Pacific has a first-class checking. Yes. And I see that, you know, I see the little emerald thing. So it's open apparently to emeralds. So if I'm gold, I'm like, you know what? I'm not flying first, obviously. I'm, like, I'm, I'm going to see if they... Except me, you know, these are very, for those who don't know, they're not actual usual checking counters. They're literally little pods yeah. with some a computer on top and a, and a crew. There was like literally one because, again, it was very early in the morning. As soon as I go into the direction of the first class, I can see her like, oh, there's a passenger and everything starts moving. Yeah. A guy comes, picks my luggage. And I'm like, oh my God. So everything is like, it's really literally super first class. Like they check me in, they print my boarding pass, give my boarding pass, they take my luggage away. There's no like, you know, belt when they put the luggage. They literally leave with it. So it gives you this feeling, is it over the top? Maybe, but it gives you this really this feeling of first class. It worked really, really well. It's like very, checking very, in at a five-star hotel. Yeah, that's a great way to, to describe it. As for the rest, as always, e-gates are so damn speedy and so damn good to the point you're wondering... Did it actually scan my password? Mm -hmm. Because it was so fast that it's like, um, but it's it's absolutely uh, absolutely fantastic. One thing, and I'll tell that to all the airports, especially Heathrow, please learn from the SkyTrain in Hong Kong. It's actually going at a reasonable speed. The one in Heathrow goes like, seems like it could be faster walking. This is probably the best <laughs> SkyTrain. The only downside to the SkyTrain, which I didn't know, it only starts service at 6 a.m. at Hong Kong Airport. Ah. It was it was five fifty probably at that point, and I was standing in front of the SkyTrain. I'm like, "Why is there no SkyTrain?" And he says, "Out of service." I'm like, "Shit, this is not working." And I go to to a clerk and I say, "Should I walk?" And he says, "No, no. In three minutes, he will say next service at six a.m. because we only started at six a.m. So I didn't know. So guys, if you're very very early, you better walk." And my flight. And Alex, you will understand right away. My flight was at gate 63. You know uh, what that means. Yes. 
I was in the pier. It was a great start of the day. Then I flew a 777-300ER, superb flight. It's horrible that I have nothing to say about that flight because it means I'm getting used to cafe uh, business class, and that's really bad because if you get used to cafe business class, then you disappoint in pretty much everything else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I landed in Areta in the, the, the short runway, runway B as they call it. So... And you heard me earlier talking about that. I keep defending Narita for many reasons. I still find it that if you are going to the east side of uh, Tokyo, it's actually faster. Even for me, the west side, I was staying in Shibuya. It's still an hour, which is more than acceptable. If you count the time it takes you to take the monorail, which is short, but then you have to transfer to another. It's actually pretty much the same. But I understand that you guys prefer Haneda. There's no immigration. Immigration it was always a thing I said. Immigration is much better at Narita than Haneda. Not because it's a better layout, just because Haneda doesn't give a S. As in, you go every time I go at least to Haneda, international arrivals, you have 50 booths but only three ones that are manned, and then you wait forever. Whereas in Narita, it's always like super fast. You have machines. Uh, it's not proper e-gates yet, but you have machines. This time, though, clearly, because probably of the Olympics coming up, they were renovating the immigration area. Uh, yeah, uh, avoid it. It's not great. Mm. The one thing, though, that I saw, Alex, they are installing e-gates. They look like portals from Stargate, you know, the, the science fiction show. You're like, maybe I'll go there. Yeah, maybe I'll go there. And by the time you put your passport, you're transported directly to Shibuya. You don't even have to take your luggage. I don't know, you know, Japanese technology. But the only thing I don't know yet is whether these will be only for Japanese. These will be only for five passports. It will be like Dubai, for instance, for like all the passports or Hong Kong. I, I hope the latter one, because these e-gates would change our lives completely in Japan. They really would. They really would. It would make things so much easier. Yeah. Oh. And they are installing them. So right. I can see that they are installing them on both ways. I saw them also on the way out. So yeah, it's coming. Finally. Oh. I, I, if you guys have any, if guys, friends in Japan have any more info, I, I, I hope that it's open to more than Japanese and, and residents because it's it would be really fantastic. I mentioned uh, Haneda uh, earlier getting, uh, you know, Delta now and more flights. You know that, probably you've noticed, Alex, unlike London and a few other cities, you don't see aircrafts over Tokyo. No. It's changing. Uh, <laughs> Japan has finally reached a deal with the U.S. <laughs> because of the U.S. bases to redraw the flight path to add capacity for Haneda. And that's obviously, uh, again, for the, the 2020 Olympics, meaning that the, I think, the daytime international flights will go from 60,000, that's current, to 100,000. So that's a big increase. And from now on, you will see flights over Tokyo itself. So some friends of mine uh, that always uh, were super proud that there were no flights and no noise, well, you'll have them as we do here in London. But I think I'm sure they will be not very disruptive. But yeah, so good news for Haneda, I guess. Yeah. It's becoming really, it's almost like they need to expand that thing at some point. I well, I mean, at least they, if they need to, they can expand into the sea because it's on the water there. So yeah. they have the space you. to do it. <laughs> can you believe that there are, because I know you've been um, involved with the tourism board there in Japan, but can you believe that there are goal for next year and to reach 40 million tourists? Wow. 40 million tourists. I was living there, Alex, 2007, 8. There were 2 million tourists a year. 
it's insane when I think about it. I'm it not is. They're working really hard. I mean, with wow. those two events. And of course, with the Olympics next year, that's going to have a lot of people there. So I'm in Japan and I'm going to do something. It's not because we haven't recorded for two months and we're suddenly switching agenda and switching themes. But I've done something that is not an aircraft. Mm. But as a Shinkansen, and I've done the Grand Class. Oh, yes. I saw some pictures <laughs> of this, but I'm keen to hear more. So for those who don't know, of course, the Shinkansen, you guys know it's a bullet train. There are many different bullet trains in Japan. And on the very recent ones, they've introduced something called Grand Class. So up to now, you had like normal class economy, if you want to call it that way. And you had the green cars. The green cars were sort of a business class. And now they've introduced Grand Class, which is like a first class, clearly. And my dream was to visit the Museum of Art in Aomori. Aomori is like the very, very top of Japan, just below the island of uh, Hokkaido, right? So look at the, the, the banana that <laughs> Japan makes at the very top before you actually reach the uh, Hokkaido. Because I love modern art. There's big chagalls there. I, I, and every time I go to a city, I want to see the Museum of Modern Art, Contemporary Art, whatever. So it was my dream. And I said, you know what? I have the Sunday. I can do it. I'm jet lagged anyway. So first I looked at the flights and I'm like, oh, I can do with Aomori Airport, Jog Ply 737s. But then I'm like, Grand Class. Okay, let's take a look at the Grand Class. Let's take a look. It's not cheap, but it's actually competitive with flights, believe it or not. Because obviously, a flight takes an hour. The Shinkansen take three and a half hours. So they have to be competitive if you want to take three and a half hours. Yeah. Obviously, you arrive closer to the city, but still. And, man, it's, I mean, it's, it's not a life lad. Because, come on, it's three and a half hours. But it's like a very, very, very big... First sofa, first class with lots of buttons and the service man and just they bring you food and like a little towel and they it, it, I was the only non-Japanese who goes to Aomori in the middle of the summer, probably nobody. Uh, because besides that museum, there's not a lot to see, let's be honest. That city is two hundred and fifty thousand people, it's not very big, right? And but the service man, it was uh, I mean, you know about Japanese service because now you've been very often, but yeah. She, she still had like these um, a bento box for food. It was, it, I, I don't know. I, I wanted, I was a bit tired. I said, you know, three and a half hours, I'm probably going to sleep a little bit and then arrive at the museum. I didn't sleep for a single minute. I wanted to try everything. Wow. They gave you like an eye mask. They gave you slippers. You have bathrooms the size of my office. <laughs> you have, I mean, it's, it's just, uh, so there's no IFE. I don't think there's IFE. No, there's no IFE. I was using my iPad at some point. But that the leg room is gigantic. It goes into an almost life life and no full life life. If you guys have, I mean, just Google it, but if you guys have also seen what the Chinese are doing with their high-speed trains, they have also some kind of first class. It's, it's probably similar, but it's the, the details, man. It's just, I mean, again, it's Japan. We know they have attention to details, but it's perfect. I mean, wow. it's just, uh, I mean, to the point that my plan was originally to say, because last minute booking flights again to Aomori were super cheap. So I said, I'm going to go there with a Shinkansen. I'm going to do my museum thing. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to take an Uber. This Uber in a city of 250,000 people, man, in Japan is crazy. I'm going to take an Uber to the airport and I'm just going to leave with Jal. It was so good that I decided to go back with the Shinkansen again wow. to do the Grand Class a second time again. Fast Wi-Fi, 4G all along, even in the tunnels, you know, because we go through mountains at some point. There's like always service, whatever you want, like beer. It's just, man, it's... This is better than most of the experience that I've in flights, actually. <laughs> wow, that's unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely... And you know what? You can buy 
something we cannot do obviously with flights you can literally arrive at a station put your the routing you want put your credit card get a ticket get on, on the train you cannot really do that with I mean, you can buy a new app, obviously. Although if you ever try to download the JAL app, they have a separate app for Japan and for international. The app for Japan to try to buy a flight there is uh, a disaster in really? UX. So yeah, so it's just, yeah. Wow. The, on the only thing I was unhappy, I didn't have seat 1A in the grand class. I had seat 2A because one of elderly gentlemen there seems to be some kind of CEO at, of course, 1A, probably a part of some loyalty program that I was not aware of. But Guys, do the grand class once you there's only like two routes to do the grand class. So it's the line that goes the most up north to in Japan. It used to stop in Aomori until two, three years ago, and in the next thirty years it will reach Sapporo where you've been, Alex. That's yeah. the goal. Yeah, there I think um yeah, it's gonna take a long time. But yeah. Fantastic. Uh, for the rest of Japan, a shout out to Shin. Of course, you know him as well, Alex. Yeah, good old Shin. Shout out to Chris. Uh, we were both guys I had dinner with and drinks, etc. And uh, Jerry, Jerry Yang. Also, we had a lot of fun together. And I want to do a special mention right here to my dear friend Vlad. Vlad Savov is one of the founders, actually, of The Verge. We did a his Sayonara dinner here in London, him and me, because he accepted the job as a editor, technology editor for Bloomberg in Tokyo. So moved to Tokyo. I think he had only been in Japan once. Moved to Tokyo a few weeks ago now. And we had an overlap of 10 hours where we could have seen each other to do after the Sayonara in London, do the uh, welcome in Japan. We couldn't make it, but Vlad, I promise you that I'm going to see you next time I'm in Tokyo. It's... Uh, it's one of the best cities in the world. I love so it. You're gonna, you're, he's going to love it. He's going to love it. And thanks to Jerry, who I just mentioned, who's a VC as well. He works at Hardware Club. I met the guys, and I sent you the link, Alex. I met the guys that create something that called Bonks. It's an earpiece to put in your ear, obviously, and you can talk to anyone freely in any kind of environment. The guy, the founder, is a surfer and created that so he could talk to his friends when he was surfing. You know, Otherwise, how do you talk to each other? Basically, it's kind of free walkie-talkie that you have as an earpiece. Clever. Sure. The thing is, ANA is deploying that in their flights now. That's how the flight attendants are going to talk to each other. That's clever, isn't it? It's a good it, is, it, it is, right? Those phones, I mean, they are quite analog. It's very clever, actually. Wow. Anyway. Uh, have you seen, by the way, in talking about ANA, have you seen the new, the images of the new first and the new business class? I am going tomorrow to the what? press unveiling in London of the new business Oh, class. no way. Yeah. Oh, I hate you, man. What the, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to ah. go and experience it. Not in, okay. not in quite ah. the same way as I would like where I end up in Tokyo. At uh, the no way. So I will report back. Okay, guys, so uh, let's not do that today. So we're going to do that in the next episode because the images look... You know, I mean, the, the first class obviously looks amazing. It reminds me a bit of a Swiss, but with different colors. But the business class, man, looks... Is it better than the Q? You're going to sit and you're going to tell me. Yeah, because I, it, I don't know. I mean, it looks great. They call it the room. The room, exactly. Yeah. Right. But wow. Okay. Uh, look, I'm going to put this thing aside, a few notes I had on it, for the next episode, because they, I'm freaking jealous, man. <laughs> I hate you right now. Oh, God. Ah. Well, yeah. I mean, ah. I'll let you know what it's like. It's starting... The London route will have it this month. So probably that's why they're unveiling it in London, yes. right? Okay, wow. Man! <laughs> Damn it. Okay, well, I'm very happy that one of us is actually going to... Damn it! Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> 
Look, let's do the rest of the, the news I had for Japan about seats the next time. Then after you, you can taunt me in the next episode. I'm sure he's going to send me pictures uh, tomorrow and to make me very... Um, Ah, so one last news about Japan. Anita, Anita IP2, I think that's her name on, on Twitter. She's been uh, very often sending us uh, news and we always welcome. She, I think she's flown recently the Hello Kitty plane on... on oh, that's on, right, of course, on. Anita. But what she sent us was, and I didn't know that it existed, Airmos, the Moss Burger, Teriyaki Burger, she did between, what was it, Narita and... Well, I don't remember what it was, but anyway... Moss Burger? What? Did you know that you could have that in the flight? I'd heard about this, yeah. I uh, I like Moss Burger. My, my yeah, kids were, were surprised by it when I first took them there. But yeah, that's so cool. It's on Jal. I think it's a kid's menu. What? But you know what? Damn it. I, I will ask for the kid's menu. I don't yeah. care. I mean, I'm a kid. I mean, Moss Burger in a flight? I mean, wow. Aramos, Anita, thank you so much for the picture. Yeah. And anyone else who's done it, let us know. Because that that's... That's... Wow. <laughs> Okay, to finish this show, before we go to the airport, so I'm actually in Tokyo, and I just told you that my fair, my fair was started actually in Hong Kong, and it was with CX, because it was actually as a gift for Alex. I wanted to fly for the first time, because it was his birthday this summer, I wanted to fly for the first time American Airlines, because you've heard him for the past 20 episodes telling how amazing, supposedly, American Airlines is. So I was like, God damn it, I'm going to fly. But of course, he didn't know that I would do that. And you learned that at the very end of the episode why. So I... I'm like, okay, so I booked this ticket, which was actually the first bit was that uh, Cathay flight to um, Narita. And then from Narita to LAX, I flew, what you mentioned earlier on the show, I flew a, a Dreamliner in 1A. <laughs> so same exact, yeah. Okay, so it's, yeah, it's 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 good. Honestly, I, I understand why you like it. It's, you know, because I don't fly as much American not American, U.S. airlines in general. So I always love it because it's very American. You know, this casual demeanor mm-hmm. when they talk to you. And I know I'm in a U.S. airline and I like this. The seat, you said it, is like the Cathay's, is maybe less bells and whistle. But it's a very, what was it, reverse herringbone, mm-hmm. they call it. You know, it's it's a very nice seat. Uh, the rest, you know, it's a 787. They had the air vents. So it was nice. And the IFE was great. But the one thing that I first noticed, and I know I'm a geek for that because I love headphones. I just talked about Vlad Savov. Vlad Savov was the headphone re- reviewer on The Verge. They have these Bank and Olufsen headphones. Yeah. Holy cow, they're good. They are good, aren't they? Oh, my God. They're I really mean, I, good. And now I understand why you were telling me that they were removing these headphones 30 minutes before landing because probably they're so good that they don't want anyone to steal them because yeah. they must be also darn I, I asked because it drove me crazy because it's, it's, they, they give you these, you know, these crappy disposable headphones 45 to 30 minutes before landing and they're going to come. And I said, this, what's the deal with that? And they're like, people keep stealing them. <laughs> and really? I, said, I said, okay, fair enough, fair Holy enough. Holy cow. Yeah. Wow. Listen, this flight... Was it even my ever first American Airlines flight since I was a kid? At least it's possible. I really liked it. You know, the privacy is great on that scene. The, the amenity ticket is pretty nice, actually. You know, there's, there's a very comfy eye mask. Actually, I liked it. You have slippers, the duvet. You know, honestly, the duvet is actually Casper. I didn't realize yeah. that these guys are they're always on the ads. On if you Just because, guys, you heard Casper. Say Casper in front of your microphone in your smartphone. You get 25,000 ads right now, actually, about <laughs> that. But yeah, it's it's really... The crew wasn't Qatar, which I had no. just, just flown. It's, it's 
It's not Cathay, it's not Jowl, it's very different. But it's a cool demeanor. The food was also... I didn't know what to do because... Remember, guys, I tell you, Alex knows as well, usually I eat the food if I have a choice to the direction I'm going to. So here would have been more American food and not Japanese food. Because, and I don't know if you've ever flown American, Alex, to or from Japan. No. The menu is uh, co-branded with Jal. Oh, there's that's a interesting. Japan- yeah, there's a Japanese chef within that same menu. So you have the traditional, I guess, American Airlines menu. And then you had like Japanese options who clearly were Jal, our partner, and the chef, and... Everything looks amazing, and uh, and maybe they're making an effort because it's Japan. And they know they love a lot of Japanese customers, so they have to. But it was uh, it was really very good. I took the Japanese option actually, really really good. The few things obviously you can say that is not cafe or not is like, yeah, they bring a champagne, but it's in a plastic glass, you know, stuff yeah. like that. It's details. It's it's okay, by the way. I don't have a a problem with that. I'm just saying that that's where the small differences are. There's a one thing that I really liked on the IFE, and probably you've seen because you take that all the time there's a little widget at the bottom right hand side and you know you can click and you have time to destination miles flown current temperature outside temperature whatever but it can stay there because usually you know if you want this information you have to go oh i have to go to the menu yeah uh, maps or my flight and then you have to either wait for the thing to roll you know the screens to roll map oh no i want the time to destination this you have this little widget that can overlay a, uh, a movie even i think i'm not sure but at least you can have the very easy information. I found that very well um, yeah, thought out. The IFE is good and comprehensive, and there's four yeah. or five live TV. The Wi-Fi is reasonably priced and pretty fast. Yeah, it was. Yeah, honestly, the the guy he was called Alex. Actually, the my my main attendant, he was clearly trained in wine. The food was generous, very American. But when I was asking about the wine, and I was hesitating, I didn't ask him which one should I take? He clearly saw that I was hesitating and he started explaining both of the white wines and why they were good. And I was like, okay, this guy knows. It's not like, it was not reading out of a script or a script that he had learned beforehand. Clearly he had been trained. That was, again, something that I had never seen in America because I don't fly, again, don't fly a lot to US airlines, but that was really, I was impressed. It was yeah. very good, man. Yeah, no, it, they're definitely, across the Atlantic, they're definitely my, my favorite option. There's a few things that... Uh, you know, every time there's turbulences, they put the the fasten seatbelt sign basically interrupts the IFE. I'm like, oh my god! Every oh, time. I know. You know. I get it. Why safety? Whatever. But like sometimes you're like, come on, it's fine. And we had a bumpy flight. So it was like every five minutes, I was watching a movie. It's like, come on. Yeah, because <laughs> it's I mean, like this it. automated thing that comes up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we even had a medical emergency. The only reason I know is that there was the same pop up that appear on screen instead of calling. Everybody got on the IFE if, uh, asking if there was a doctor on board. Oh, that's interesting. Probably there was at some point because we never heard about it anymore later. So probably that situation was solved. But that's it was a interesting. good way of doing it, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the, the safety video, um, because again, you, you probably have seen it a billion times, but it's both very explanatory, which US safety videos always are. But I find it quite modern and even chic. Yeah, I, th- I think it's good. It's sort of good. this like performance art yeah, thing, yeah, exactly. isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's good. It's 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 not quirky, which doesn't always hit the spot if you go too far one direction yeah. or the other. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. I think it's yeah, yeah. it's good. It's very on brand. Yeah, I liked it. Look, the crew they were doing their job. 
Alex, the one I mentioned was above and beyond, but the rest were, were good. Yeah. I cannot say they were bad. I cannot say they were great. That's, they were, they were doing American their job. In a nutshell. Yeah. But I appreciate that. There was not overstepping, over friendliness. They were, they were, they were good. Then I landed in LAX, belched out in some, I don't know, underground of the terminal forest. Very strange. We have a bus and then we don't get to the, you know, what's the name of the international Tom something terminal. Tom Bradley, yeah. Bradley, there you go. We go to Terminal 4, so the American Airlines terminal, although we are international inbound, and I'm sure that's normal. So it's a very different experience at Terminal 4 because literally, I guess, they don't have that many flights coming internationally to that. You literally walk what it seems into a construction area under some... It's like, where am I? And then you belch out into an immigration area, which is not very big, but... Okay, I was also 1A, so it allowed me to go fast. Even with ESTA, which is your visa waiver program in the US, input a few things in a computer, scan my passport, take a picture of me. The officer, not the greatest, but whatever. That took me five minutes, which then actually I had to wait forever for my luggage. But So it didn't look great, but it worked great. Yeah, uh, that's, I, I, what it, that's what you want, right? So uh, <laughs> honestly. And then... And LAX, uh, I had six hours before a connecting flight. So what did I do? I went to in and out There you go. That's the only of thing course. you can do. <laughs> the weather was fantastic. I saw like so many aircrafts landing, including a lot of AAs. It was really fantastic. There was actually the uh, Cranky Dork Fest. Have you seen the pictures? Oh, yeah. You know, you know from uh, Cranky Flyer. Yeah, with uh, Munoz from <laughs> United Handing Out Burgers. Uh, yeah, Munoz showed up. Yeah. Wow. Pre- this- pretty, pretty amazing. It's like if you and me were doing like a layovers fest in London and Alex Cruz shows up. I mean... I mean, I would love it, by the way. Alex, if you're listening to us, not this Alex, Alex Cruz, you can have a beer with us. We're not going to be too harsh on BA, we promise you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, okay. And then, uh, so went back after in and out I was connecting to San Jose, domestic Terminal 4, but I was flying American Eagle. Yes. American Eagle has its own terminal, the Eagle's Nest. Is that what they is, call it, really? Yeah, I think it's called the Eagle's Nest because it's not part of any of the other terminals. You literally have to take a bus and it's like a self-contained building somewhere on the apron. So I was in Terminal 4, clear security again, was super easy. Then stayed in the Admirals Club in that Terminal 4, which was nice. And there was this bus and you take this bus and this bus leads you to this nest, which is a set of gates but wonderfully, and I didn't know, they also have an Admiral's Club. It's a tiny one, but it's a nice one. And I stayed. And the thing is, I didn't know. Because I was flying business, which is first there, whatever, I had two premium drinks free yeah. in the lounge. So I think Bud Light is free anyway. But premium beer, apparently Heineken is a premium beer. I didn't know that. But it's nice to know that I had that. Do yeah. you have that usually? or uh, In yeah. the Admiral's Club, yes. In flagship yeah. lounges, no. Oh, yeah. About the Eagle's Nest, what I didn't know is that because American is trying to reduce the number of passengers at T4 in LAX, which apparently are too many, they encourage now people to go to T6. And from T6, you also have a bus that also leads you to this Eagle's Nest. So if you guys have ever done the other way, I don't know if I should have done T6. Maybe the lounge was better, but T4 was honestly really fine. So I'm not going to complain about that. Then American Eagle. It was an Embraer 175. Have you ever flown American Eagle? I have, yeah. Was it the one that had like this shipped paint? Was it that? Was that American Eagle? 
Yeah, the thing with American Eagle is it's fran- it's a franchise operation, isn't it? Or you know, they they Yeah, something like that, yeah. The actual airline is it could be Envoy, it could be uh a few of the other big um subcontracting airlines in the US. So it the experiences can vary dramatically. So I was in 1A again and the legroom was batshit insane. I think I think I had like 10 meters. I'm kidding. But I mean, it was like, really, they put this. I like, why would you have so much legroom in front? I didn't. Well, I mean, I'm not going to complain. It was really great. Although sometimes I like to be able to touch the bulkhead because I can also rest my feet on the bulkhead. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do. But when it's well, there's too much legroom, there's literally too much legroom. <laughs> Look, nice plane. I mean, I love Embraer's. The service was, I mean, they didn't give a F. No, I mean the literally those, on those back and forth. I mean, well, literally, I mean, I was super nice. She was, she was cool. I'm not saying that she was bad or whatever, but literally, uh, here's your beer, and never addressed me the whole rest of the flight. Basically, uh, I think that's that was pretty much it. And but then I was, you're right. I was looking at everybody else because I was, you know, I was like a kid. I was like, I never flown an American Eagle. I never been in Eagle's Nest. I was just flown from Tokyo. This is so cool. Yeah. And there's a reason I'm flying all this. And then. I'm looking at all the other guys and everybody's on their headphones and watching something or working and nobody actually cares. And I'm like, okay, I'm the only one that actually cares about the service here. So probably, yeah, it's, I get it, right? It's just, I mean, it was a, what, 55 minutes flight. So it's okay. I mean, I really, we don't need more. The very interesting bit, and that would be the, my last comment, is that if you've guys been to the Eagle's Nest, is these boarding things are very bizarre. It's like, they're not stairs. And I understand probably for wheelchairs, but like they really seem to be temporary made up. Yeah, marble uh, runs. Marble runs. And I had that, of course, when I landed with American earlier on. But the ones from the Eagle's Nest really look like temporary. They wobbly and you're like, oh, what? But it works very well. I mean, but, but it really, for me, it really feels what I think about the experience of flying in the US, which is more practical than the experience. It has to be practical. It has to be pragmatic. Yeah. And it does. It is, by the way. Yeah, it and is then much I, more like a bus yeah. service. Yeah, exactly. I fly to San Jose, which was my first time, but I cannot really experience anything because flying there as a domestic is I land and I'm at my luggage and I'm out. I'm like, yeah, okay, that was done. easy. This, I mean, that, was, that took me like 30 seconds. And I was like, okay, I understand why Alex is always coming here. <laughs> And why did I do that? Because then I took a car to Livermore when I was very close to where uh, you live. I mean, I was actually in Dublin and the next day in the morning, I came to make you a surprise. Yes. (laughs) That was fun. (laughs) That was amazing. My wife had organized this wonderful 40th birthday celebration where my dearest friends had flown in from all over the world, unbeknownst to me. And as I walked from near Fisherman's Wharf to uh, Pier 33. Yeah, Pier 33. My friends kept appearing out of nowhere uh, (laughs) to surprise me. And it was just wonderful. And I can't thank you and Jack and and Chris and and Fergie and, of course, my wife for... um, yeah, for, and, your, for and our family together. as well. We had a wonderful time. Yeah, But man, how hard it was for me to hide the fact that I was coming. We talk, guys, we talk about flies, as you know, on this podcast, but we always chat with Alex like daily. 
And I was like trying to find a fare and I couldn't rely on my best buddy when it comes to flight about how would I go. And I like, wow, I cannot ask him. And I was like, and then I had to hide the fact he, we were talking about our next flights and something. And I couldn't tell you that I was coming to and doing all these flights. And so, yeah, so the, my, my birthday gift was only to show up, but to fly AA. So now I can actually, <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> it, was it was wonderful. wonderful. I Thank you it. to your wife. Thank you, of course, to these group of amazing cats, Jack, Fergie, and Chris, and, and, and Will of, uh, as well, of course. And I met his wife very happy and and all, your wife's family. Everything was fantastic. Th that week was amazing. So thank you, Alex. It was no, really, no, thank really, you. It was incredible. Really, really fantastic. And the return, how I left, and that's going to be for the next episode. But that was one of the best flights because I knew I was coming to surprise Alex in San Francisco. And then we spent, I mean, we did everything from go-karting to... You taught me what is the burger we had at In-N-Out the, the last day when oh, we, we were had about to leave. Double-double animal style. My God, that was good. Yeah. I had never tried that before. That was amazing. Yeah, man. you got to do oh, animal my God. style. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> that was really fantastic. Thank you so much, Alex, no, for that. That was you. really God, it was, nah, I'll I mean, never yeah. forget that as long as I live. So forget to not forget about Detroit Airport. How was how is that? Detroit was outstanding. It that airport surprised the hell out of me. First time. It was my first time ever okay. through Detroit. Oh, wow. And it was fantastic. I was in the newest uh terminal, which even actually isn't even that new, but it was it was one of those long end-to-end -end terminals clean and airy and bright it has this sort of internal train that runs across uh, along the top of it it's literally inside and can take you from the the more distant gates excellent facilities excellent uh, food options really clearly and obviously laid out i was so impressed with that airport and uh, delta are using it for a lot of their PAXX experiments. So they're doing this um, biometric boarding that uh, Cathay and a few other airlines are doing. So they use it on our flight. So you went to this camera and you could board if you wanted to. Um, but yeah, yeah we will. Talk, I think one of, that's one of the topics we'll talk in our next episode, because this is coming something that is a hot topic, biometric boarding and everything. I think uh, I didn't know that Oh, wow, they have it, because San Jose has it as well, I think, no? Yeah, a lot of them are rolling it out. Uh, yeah. It was, yeah, I, I was so impressed by that airport, and I know that a lot of people are probably had the same reaction that I did going in, going, this is going to be awful, and yeah. they had the same reaction I did leaving, which was, no, actually, this is a very, very good airport. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing something, but apparently they got the best U.S. airport and customer satisfaction um, by J.D. Power recently. So, you know, they've been working hard at this. Look, yeah, I've only been once, and that was in March 2010, so we're talking a long time ago. I was coming from Austin uh, with a CR9, I think, and Delta, and then I flew from Detroit to Amsterdam on a 330, 300, I think, Delta again. I only had two and a half hours, so I don't know how long you had. Uh, I yeah, remember really. most of the action happened in Concourse A or A gates, which is the central bit where you probably were as well. When you see that SkyTrain thing, I think they call it the Express Tram or something, mm -hmm. because that Concourse A is the second longest airport concourse in the world after Kansai. Is it really? I believe K it. KIX, yeah. And, and I remember loving it. We're talking 10 years ago, but you know there are airports that I forget that 
some of the airports that we're talking this year, like, yeah, I kind of remember, like Charlotte. I went to Charlotte and I had like these vague images of Charlotte. Some stuff stuck, but not. Detroit, because maybe of these expectations you just mentioned, it was like, how good is that for a U.S. airport? Yeah. Like, not the bus station we keep mentioning, and I have nothing against bus station, but really, it was neat. It was well-designed. That tram express train is, at least back in the day, looked like almost science fictionary. It was really, honestly, I, I was really, really impressed. And uh, it's very easy to understand as well, the layouts. And we're not JFK or whatever. You have these A-gates, which is, it's mostly a Delta Sky team thing. So these A-gates, which is basically the central bit. And you have your B-gates on one side and the C-gates on the other side. Only if you don't fly Sky team, you have D-gates, which is a slightly bit, again, super easy to reach because you have moving walkways everywhere. Yeah. And the lounge, and we're talking about lounge nine years ago, so probably it's changed, it's graded a lot. I stayed in the lounge in the A-Gates, Officer Wayfinder, I don't remember which one it was, it's nine years ago, guys. But I also remember that it was a great lounge. I mean, I have only good memories about an airport. I can only recommend people to yeah. connect there. Yeah, it if was you're... so easy to connect. I, 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 I'm impressed. I mean, of course, it's Fortress Delta and yeah, to an yeah. extent Virgin, so that will slightly force your hand, but yeah, impressive. Would you do a layover or would you go to Detroit? Uh, I've <laughs> always wanted to go to Detroit, so I'd probably yeah. find an opportunity to go in town. Yeah, I've been once a very long time ago as a teenager, so same. But as a layover, I would totally stay several hours in there easily. It's a great airport. Yeah. And I don't say that, I don't think we say that often for US airports. No, so no. very impressive. So we're going to probably record uh, pretty quickly because uh, another one, because we will try to maintain a two week, three week, now not two months gap until the end of the year. But do you have any flights coming up? Nope. Uh, I've got September quiet, is quiet. Quiet. Yeah, well, by design. Good. Yeah, I'm just doing um, Warsaw this uh, coming weekend. So I'll try to get this episode out before and Amsterdam at the end of the month. That's about it also for me. So we'll probably record soon. Thank you guys for having uh, waited for two months for this to yes, come out. Yes, thank you for your patience. And happy travels. Safe travels, guys.